Hi, my name's India. This is Be More Orca, Buck the Menopause. Now, I'm not a medic, or an expert, or a celebrity. I'm just going through it myself. I was totally blindsided by my symptoms. I knew nothing about this stage of my life. And then I discovered neither did any of my friends. So I'm on a mission to find out everything I can, explore every avenue to help us manage our symptoms and get our lives back on track. Talking to each other is really important, but we need answers too. So in this episode, I'd like you to meet Dr. Katie Barber. She's going to be Be More Orca's resident menopause expert. And she really knows her stuff. Having been a GP for 16 years, she realised that actually her passion lay in helping women through the menopause. And she's now an accredited specialist with the British Menopause Society. In 2020, she founded a private clinic, Oxford Menopause, as it gave her more time to really talk to her patients and understand their needs. But she still does her NHS work and is clinical lead for Oxfordshire Gynaecology Service. She also teaches our GPs to have a better understanding of the menopause, and we all know how vital that is. And she's on the Menopause All-Party Parliamentary Group, so she's at the coalface of changing legislation to make the whole system more menopause-friendly. And most importantly, she's really lovely and easy to talk to. Frankly, I don't know how she does it. Makes me tired just reading all of that. Dr. Katie, thank you so much for coming and talking to me today. As we heard in the introduction, you are an eminent specialist in all things menopausal. And I probably only touched on like a tenth of the things you do. I slightly wonder whether you live in the matrix. Does time just move slower for you? Can you dodge bullets? Sometimes I feel like that. But yeah, it's a bit of a nightmare when you've got a dog a husband, two kids, um, and going through perimenopause and working in the NHS and privately. Um, But I'm constantly being told I should do less. I'll try one day. (laughs) Please don't, because you've also agreed to be (laughs) our resident medical expert, and I love you for that. And we will be drilling down into the myriad of medical questions that we all have. But first and foremost, as you just said, you are a woman going through it yourself. And That's what I'm interested in to start with, your personal experiences. So were you working, helping women with the menopause when symptoms first hit you? So I've been an accredited menopause specialist since 2019, but working in the menopause world for a couple of years before that. So yes, I was. It was about 2019 when I started to find I was having symptoms. So were you one of the few women, I presume, who could go, oh, I know what this is. The one thing that we all say is, I don't know whether I'm there or not. So were you able to spot them in yourself? Well, you would hope so, wouldn't you? But no, like nearly every woman on the planet, it doesn't matter whether you've got all the menopause knowledge at your fingertips. You completely ignore typical symptoms until someone else tells you that they could be or a light bulb moment goes on. So no, I I was coming up to 41 and so fairly young and I don't have periods because I have a coil that stops them. So I had no sort of menstrual indicators of something going wrong. 
Um, but it was actually my husband that suggested it could be perimenopause. Love him. Did he say that in a nice way? <laughs> yeah, he, he was amazing, actually, because I was I was talking about um, some training I was doing and educating nurses and pharmacists in primary care. And I was doing a presentation and I was saying, oh, could you just check this slide for me with these symptoms? Does it read well? Have I got the font right? And he said, you, you know, some of these symptoms, Katie, he said, you, you've been kind of saying quite a lot of them recently and some of them you've written down they're sort of ringing a bell with me um do we think you could be perimenopausal and had you not spotted it yourself was it one of those light bulb moments of you're absolutely right or did you go no don't be ridiculous I'm only 41 um I did that of course don't be ridiculous I'm only 41 and I'm a menopause specialist I would recognize these in myself surely but, you know, I was a GP partner working full time hours, NHS work. I had two children who were five and eight at that point, And I was, you know, um, busy, stressful life. So when you've got sleep disturbance and exhaustion and fatigue, it was just like, well, it's because I'm a busy mummy. Yeah. I didn't put two and two together. This is my life, basically. You have just described mine of five <laughs> and eight. And uh, yeah, you've just described me and seemingly every woman on the planet. Why don't we recognise the symptoms? I thought us lay people couldn't work out what are the symptoms of menopause or perimenopause and, you know, what's just the joys of being a modern woman and trying to have it all. That was due to a lack of knowledge, but uh, obviously not, as you had all the knowledge at your fingertips, but still struggled to see it in yourself. I think it's just we assume there's other reasons, don't we? I think um, menopause has always been portrayed as somebody maybe in their 50s plus, um, an an aging thing, um, you know, not not with busy lives and 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 with flushes and sweats. And actually, flushes and sweats are symptoms that women get later on. And it's those unusual perimenopausal symptoms that that I got, and lots of other women experience, like onset of migraines for the first time, stiff hands and joints, um, burning mouth and tongue. This is what got me. And and there I was thinking, oh, I must have. Something else causing my stiff joints. My mother had rheumatoid arthritis. Let me get a blood test for that. Of course, it was completely normal. And it's only when you add more and more things together that then you have that light bulb moment. And then how did you explore it? Did you then say, you know, sort of, oh, right, this is what it is. I know exactly what to do now. No, the first thing I did was be complete denial and say, I must have rheumatoid arthritis like my mother. Um, Migraines are happening because I'm stressed. I'm not sleeping because I've become completely alcohol intolerant because even if I have half a glass of wine, I'm awake all night. And that's what it is. So I'm just going to stop out any alcohol. I'm going to get my GP to do some blood tests to make sure I don't have rheumatoid. And then it probably will be rheumatoid and that'll be the answer. And of course, all the blood tests were completely normal. So I then thought, okay, what do I do here? And as a menopause specialist, I was very proactive. And I said to my GP, look, just, just humor me here. Give me some HRT. Let me try this because if it works, I know this is perimenopause. So were there other things that you tried or thought about doing before suggesting to your GP that you gave HRT a try? Well, I'd already done the kind of let's stop alcohol. I'll see what I can do with my work-life balance to make this a bit better. You know, can I delegate anything? I mean, I'm not someone that ever delegates, so that was really hard. But anyway, I did the best I could. You know, I was very sensible. I went to bed early, but, you know, the insomnia was 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 catastrophic at times. But no, I was really kind of thinking, well, let me just try this. Let's see how it works. And I have to say, it doesn't work immediately for the majority of women. 
for me, it was about four to six weeks that it started to turn a corner. And I remember it well, because I started it just before December started in 2020. And by January, I was sleeping and I didn't have any more migraines and my joints went stiff. I used to run 5k three, four times a week. And it was taking me longer and longer to recover from each run. And then I was back running again. And it was absolutely life changing from my perspective. So was your GP as knowledgeable as you? Did you find yourself saying, this is what I want? Or did you feel supported? Well, she was frankly amazing because, you know, being a local GP and local menopause specialist means a lot of the GPs know you anyway, um, because I'm involved with teaching and education across the, the county and further afield. So it was really lovely. It was a two way conversation where we debated, would it work? Is it worth trying? What are the risks? What are the benefits? And my, I sadly lost my mother to breast cancer when she was 62. So I can understand from the GP perspective, that initial fear of, oh, my goodness, your mother died from breast cancer, is this the right thing? So we had a really lovely conversation about the risks and benefits and where I sat with regard to my own risk of breast cancer and what was safe for me, which is obviously unique to you as an individual, depending on your own personal history. So that's really interesting. As a lot of my friends are saying, you know, I have a family history of cancer, so I'm not going near HRT. So what was it that made you personally feel that the benefits outweighed the risks? Well, I'm a scientist, so it had to be evidence and science and, you know, information that I'd researched and learned during my training. So the bottom line is that, you know, if you are somebody with a breast cancer risk in your family history, and for me, I haven't got a BRCA gene, BRCA gene, which is the gene that significantly elevates our chance of having breast or ovarian cancer. I've had genetic um, evaluation for that. But I do have mammograms every year from 40 to 50 and at 50 go to normal screening because I'm considered somebody who's at a heightened risk of breast cancer. So I know my own risk of breast cancer is increased by my family history. But what I do know as well as a menopause specialist from the evidence that's available is that in women who have a family history of breast cancer, their HRT is then an individual independent risk factor. So it doesn't augment the family history even more it's a separate risk factor. And actually, in women who use HRT before the age of 50, there isn't a significant increase in breast cancer risk from the HRT use. We're merely topping women up back to where they would be compared with a normal menstruating woman who's not estrogen deficient. After 50, the risk then accumulates. So how I am at the moment until I get to 50 is I've got my breast cancer risk from my family history, but my HRT is not adding to that risk any further. It's just that background family history I need to be concerned about. You obviously felt that HRT was the right choice for you. What did you and your GP decide to put you on? So I have a Mirena coil, which is a, a progestogen coil, which I've had fitted. I've had them since before I had kids to manage heavy periods, and they're utterly fantastic for managing bleeding. And, I, you know, if anyone told me I couldn't have my Mirena, I'd probably shout at them quite loudly. But then that can be used as part of HRT, the progestogen component of HRT for up to five years. And then I simply use some oestrogen gel alongside. And in terms of symptoms, what would you say you suffered with most? You say you didn't have night sweats and things. No, not at all. I mean, looking back, it's always retrospect that's great, isn't it, with these things. I thought, actually, I probably was a bit hotter at night. The covers were going off. My husband, my husband was constantly closing the windows in the winter when I was like, come on, just open them. The first thing I had was burning mouth, um, like my tongue was on. I didn't even know that was a symptom. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a really unusual one. And, and I completely dismissed it because I had that symptom and nothing else for about six months. 
And I tried all sorts of things. I had dental checkups. I went and used mouthwashes. And intermittently, I just got this feeling like my tongue had been scalded. That then settled, but it was really joint stiffness, new onset migraine with aura, flashing lights, visual disturbance, feeling like I needed to go and lie in a darkened room. And then, I mean, I'm, I'm loath to admit this, but I think this is the one that nudged my husband is just biting my husband's head off. <laughs> the rage. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's really patient. And the poor man was clearly just thinking, oh God, we need to get this dog that we're, we're going to get next year, but come on, let's get this dog so I can just go and walk when she wants to, to blow her top. And I think I was getting snappy with the kids. And it's, it's that feeling, of, oh God, all these symptoms adding together. Um, and, and that with that complete loss of normal sleep and cognitive function. I'm, I remember being in a discussion with my GP colleagues and saying the word potato instead of project. I was just like, <laughs> why am I, why am I saying this? This is just utter madness. <laughs> so the physical symptoms, you know, hot flushes, night sweats, I mean, they're more instantly recognisable, aren't they? Mm. I only had the um, mental ones, the, you know, inability to finish a sentence, lack of joy. Would you say they were harder to prescribe than the physical ones? Yes, because, you know, uh, GPs can recognise menopause quite easily if you present with typical symptoms. And the, the difficulty is, is that we're all hitting menopause, whether, you know, if we have a normal age, 40 plus, we, we have busy lives, we might have elderly parents who are having to care for, we've got um, sometimes quite senior roles in whatever organisation we're in, we're busy, we've got children, we've got family stresses. And so when we present with mood disturbance or cognitive issues, it's very easy to assume that they're a primary mood issue rather than a hormonal deficiency. And I think that's where it's very difficult to fully evaluate what's going on if you're not having the sort of hot flushes, menstrual disturbance that we typically associate with menopause. And do you think that's why so many women get offered antidepressants? Yes. And, you know, I, I can even remember a lady several years ago, probably a decade ago now, where I suggested she have antidepressants because she was presenting with mood disturbance. And after a few months when she was coming back and not feeling any better, that's when I wrote to the menopause specialist when I wasn't one at my local hospital and just said, look, am I missing something? Is this menopause? And she said, well, yeah, give it a go. You'll know quite quickly HRT will work within a few months. And if her mood improves, and it hasn't done with antidepressants, then clearly you're on the wrong line. And, and actually, she was really good with HRT and got better. Part of the difficulty in deciding when to even go to your GP to ask for help is the confusion you know, around knowing whether you're there yet or not. Is this menopause or perimenopause? How long are you perimenopausal for? When does it become menopause? Uh, yeah, I, I think don't get too hung up on the terms. I think that the, the best way I explain it is perimenopause is when you're starting to experience symptoms or changes that suggest your hormone levels are changing. And you remain perimenopausal until you've had at least 12 months without a period, by which point you are postmenopausal. Now that you'll then say, but if you've got a Myrena coil, you don't have periods. So how do you know when you're postmenopausal? Um, how did you know I was going to ask that? <laughs> Having a Myrena coil myself, I'm like, how will I ever know when I'm post, like when I've come out the other side? It doesn't matter, really. The bottom line is it doesn't matter because about 96% of women are postmenopausal by 55, 56. There's obviously that normal distribution where there's a few outliers either end of the curve. 
but essentially it's not important other than when we start thinking about what kind of HRT we use. But the symptoms can be florid throughout the whole time. They can be minimal to start with and get progressively worse. And what tends to happen is when you're getting older and you're getting through the perimenopause to that end point, that's when you can start to have worsening hot flushes and sweats, which are often the latest symptom. They're not normally so florid in the early days. So that is interesting because I've never had hot flushes, but I should be saying yet I haven't had them yet. But so I could be looking at the more physical side of things, hot flushes, itchy skin, things like that. Will that come later? Potentially, but if you're using HRT, no. So this is this is where... This is why I love my job, because it's so unique and individual and every woman is completely different. So you get some women who start on HRT in their late 40s and are beautifully well controlled and stay on that same dose for however long they want to. And when they wean and stop it, they feel completely fine and they never have any change in symptoms. That's unusual, but there are some women like that. For the majority of women, the starting dose of HRT is not necessarily what you'll be on forever if you start in the perimenopause, because that's when your hormone levels haven't disappeared to ground zero. They are still, your ovaries are still producing a little bit of estrogen, but it's not necessarily consistent in the same amount. When you're postmenopausal, your ovaries have stopped working, your periods have stopped, you're a little bit more steady state. So often women who start HRT, maybe 18, 24 months after their periods have stopped, you can get the dose of HRT usually right and it stays quite consistent. Their requirements don't often wouldn't say ever because there are always women who have a, a you know things change but on the whole things are a lot more steady we will come back to hrt in another episode of course but can you talk to us about why estrogen is so important in our bodies i mean we have estrogen receptors all over don't we we do, we do. So yeah, from the tops of our heads to the bottom of our toes, we have estrogen receptors and, and estrogen has key, key um, functions in our body. So it's obviously part of reproductive health and development. They're key things that we, we, we need estrogen for. But it also helps to maintain female characteristics and has an impact on our cognitive health and well-being, on our bone density. So estrogen has impact by stimulating our bone building cells, the building blocks of our bone architecture, and inhibiting our bone chewing up cells. And our bones constantly remodel. When we go for a walk, when we go for a run, we're getting micro fractures. Not worrying, this is normal bone remodeling. And estrogen has a positive impact on that balance between bone building and bone resorption. When estrogen falls, that balance changes, which is why women are more at risk of osteoporosis after menopause. But the same applies with our heart. We know estrogen has protective effects on our blood vessels. It reduces our furring up the artery cholesterol. It helps lower our blood pressure and also helps our hearts generally in the way they function. So these are the, the reasons why HRT has these other long-term health benefits. It also has an impact on how we stay cognitively alert, and particularly for young women, that's really important when they've had an early menopause to replace that estrogen they're not producing. It's in the eyes as well. Does it have an effect on on like macular degeneration and things like that? Or Yeah, yeah all of that, the skin, the nails, your hair, um, our nether regions are, you know, are everything, everything can be impacted. And, and actually, the, if you look at the type of symptoms that women will get and you look at a symptom list, I always say, look, 
any symptom a woman presents with could be related to estrogen deficiency in the menopause. If we're talking about the symptoms, things like hot flushes, like I read that that was to do with your hippo, I'm not going to be able to say it, hippo. Hypothalamus. <laughs> Hypothalamus, thank you. Not hippo even. Spot the person who's just reading it on a page. Uh, and that's, And so that's your brain not firing up properly, which is what's controlling your temperature, yes, which is gives you the hot flushes on. and particularly our hypothalamus um is a really key bit of our brain and sort of produces hormones that stimulate lots of other organs like our thyroid uh like our ovaries um and and what happens in menopause is when our ovaries stop producing a normal amount of estrogen there's this feedback loop to our hypothalamus and the hypothalamus uh, sends signals down to the pituitary gland which is also another really important gland in our brain that pituitary gland is, is producing a hormone called follicle-stimulating hormone, or FSH. Um, and it's that that goes up typically in the latter stages of menopause and starts to rear its ugly head and particularly causes things like hot flushes and the, the vasomotor symptoms, cold, hot sweats uh, and, and, and flushes. What causes tinnitus? Why is tinnitus uh, a menopausal symptom? I mean, this is due to the impact of estrogen deficiency. So it's all to do with how estrogen maintains the normal structure and function of all our organs and all our connective tissues. Funnily enough, I've seen a lot of tinnitus recently in women presenting. Yeah, a lot of my friends say, oh, is that menopause? I didn't even think of that. And, um, and like the itchy skin, is that again like the brain synapses not working, making you feel as though your skin is itching? Um, sometimes, yes. But most importantly, with skin, hair and nails, it's estrogen deficiency. It's that the majority of your menopausal symptoms are going to be related to that falling estrogen level. So not having enough estrogen to stimulate the estrogen receptors. And that is why your skin itches? It can be because it's dry and inflamed and irritable. And changing body odour and things like that. People have said, you know, oh, I've really started smelling. I never used to smell and now I stink. And why are we not told that oestrogen is so important to us? You think of it as just the reproductive, so, you know, men have testosterone, women have oestrogen. But it seems to be it's, it's all encompassing. It is. And it, it's not just oestrogen. I mean, you've touched on testosterone there in, in, in men, but women produce testosterone as well. We produce a, a fair amount of testosterone comes from our ovaries and a fair amount comes from our adrenal glands, which are little glands above our kidneys. Um, and our ovarian testosterone production declines at menopause as well. And we can start to get symptoms that typically gives you the sexual function issues. So, you know, loss of libido, arousal, orgasm, all those things are linked with low testosterone. And we will come back to testosterone as a, a part of HRT later on. So the rage, we touched earlier on the just wanting to bite people's heads off. Is that caused by lack of estrogen or is that just women getting to the end of their tethers? I think there's two things here, really. One is how our normal mood is when we've got an abundance of estrogen and how that's affected by changes. And if we think about younger women with premenstrual disturbance in their mood that is happening because of hormonal fluctuations and when you are perimenopausal postmenopausal you you have more fluctuations with the hormones that maybe were quite stable before because it might be that you're not producing an egg every month so your poor brain and your ovaries don't know whether they're coming or going and you don't get that normal cyclical patterns so that's the first thing the other thing is the vicious circle of insomnia 
that, you know, when we're all exhausted and tired and we're still trying to work and run a household and deal with our children, you know, having um, insomnia negatively impacts on our mood and our ability to just deal with what's being thrown at us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no wonder we get a bit snappy. Sleep deprivation is a known torture form, isn't it? And uh, yeah, I I suffered badly from that with my four-year-old. So can you tell us, is there any research on why some women are asymptomatic, I want to call it? Some women breeze through it while others are debilitated by it. Is there anything that explains this or is it just sheer luck? It's just sheer luck. There isn't really a (laughs) scientific hypothesis that I can share with you. What we do know is, is for one group of women, women who have an induced menopause, so that might be chemically induced because of chemotherapy, for example, or surgically induced because they've had their ovaries removed, menopause can be hideous quite quickly. One minute they're tickling along nicely and they're often not menopausal when they have their surgery or their induced menopause. The next minute, wham, their ovaries aren't working. And, and you know, that's like, I always remember a friend of mine having her second baby and saying it was like going from naught to 70 in a Ferrari the second time round. And it's a bit like that with surgical and induced menopause. It, it's, it's great and hunky-dory and then all of a sudden it hits you. Whereas a lot, not everybody, some women can have quite abrupt um, loss of menstrual cycles and, and, and adverse symptoms with a, a normal natural menopause. But most of us will get a progressive decline in hormone levels and it won't be so abrupt. And does your mother or sister's menopause dictate how yours will be or isn't that true? Well, they say it's about 50% is is sort of your inherited factors with with menopause. So if, you know, if mum was very early, then it's more likely that you will be early. Um, But there's lots of other factors that come into play. So how we live our lifestyle is particularly um, evident when it comes to menopause. So we know that certain groups of women with risk factors for other diseases and women who are obese, women who smoke, women who drink a lot of alcohol, drink a lot of caffeine, will tend to have more adverse symptoms than maybe women who lead a, lead a lovely, healthy lifestyle without any of those things being involved. And are women, in your experience, are they presenting earlier? Is our life impacting on our menopause? Are we getting younger and younger as we have it? Yes. I mean, I think over the last few years, what I've been really pleased to see is women not waiting until their periods have completely stopped. They're presenting when they're either still having completely regular cycles, but they've got symptoms or they're getting a very slight menstrual change, which is triggering and prompting them to seek help because they don't otherwise feel well. It shouldn't be the case that women are being told you've got to come back when your periods have stopped or you've got to have an abnormal blood test to be told that you're menopause. You do not need a blood test. If you're over 45, you are not going to have any helpful information coming from a blood test. If you're just looking for menopause, by all means, check other things if there's something else going on. But hormonal blood tests to diagnose menopause shouldn't be uh, undertaken in women over 45. And someone told me, because my GP sent me for a blood test just to check it was other things, I think. Um, But someone told me, well, actually, it can depend on the day that you have your blood test because your hormones go up and down. And so it's not actually a very good indicator of whether you're in the you know perimenopause, especially spot on you know if you happen that month that cycle to have an abundance of estrogen your blood tests will be completely normal doesn't mean you're not perimenopause it's just we've captured it at that particular point so unless you do repeated blood tests you're not going to see a biochemical change unfortunately doctors we like we like blood tests to tell us what to do you know if you've got thyroid disease a blood test test tells us 
you've got thyroid disease. And then when we treat you, we check your blood test and we know whether you've got them on the right dose. So mm. there, there's a lovely scientific explanation to lots of things in medicine. And unfortunately, menopause is one of those things that sits slightly out of our comfort zones because there isn't a test or a diagnostic tool that we can use. And that's why we're here, isn't it? Because there aren't any real clear-cut answers when it comes to the menopause. I, it's as individual as we are. Mm. Katie, I could talk to you all day about this, but I'm aware that I've taken up more of your time than I meant to. So I just want to end by asking, what piece of advice would you give to someone going through it or questioning whether they are going through it? I think that one thing I would say is it's really important that you listen to friends and family because the subtle symptoms of menopause are often the ones you don't notice in yourself. And they're not having a go at you. They're not saying something's wrong. They just know that you're not functioning to your best ability. And when someone else recognises that before you do, take stock and really think about what's affecting you because actually there's a good solution out there. And it may not be hormone therapy. It may be something else. It's been fascinating to talk to you, Katie. And we have so much more to discuss. I'm afraid I'm going to keep you pretty busy <laughs> as if you aren't already. <laughs> Thank you so much. I loved our first chat and uh, here's to many more. My pleasure. Told you she was great, didn't I? I'll be having regular catch-ups with Dr Katie over the coming months, where I'll be putting to her all our questions on HRT, the alternatives to HRT, GP training. Well, the list is endless. But next time, I'll be chatting to a group of mates about being told by your GP to go away because you're not menopausal enough, the importance of talking to our daughters and sons about the entire hormonal lifespan of a woman, not just the start, and getting to a point where we're not apologising for being menopausal anymore. Thanks for listening, and see you the week after next. If you want to join in, head to bemoreorcopod.co.uk. You'll find our pod forum, full of women just like you, finding the funny in what we're all going through and sharing stories so we never have to feel like we're going it alone again.